you really know you're watching Taiwanese New Wave when the camera doesn't move for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Flick Lab. I'm Corri, a Finn living in Malaga, Spain. Media assistant by title and work in IT currently. But most importantly, let's get to our guests of, of tonight or this morning or however it goes. We're all across the planet at the moment. Well, let's start with Nick. Hey, how's it going? Then we have Luke here. Hi, Luke. Hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and of course, my co-host, Henrik. And for the moment, your only co-host. That's right. Yeah, we had some personal changes here. We had a, a certain... We were joking that we would forget his name by the next episode that we record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, okay. Yeah, the, I, the, the, the one who shall not be named. <laughs> we had this uh, American co-host here for like six months, but unfortunately ah, okay. he had to depart because he has another podcast going so well Remember? i'll be your token american for today <laughs> <laughs> all right so luke would you maybe like to tell a little bit about yourself yeah uh hi everybody i'm luke i come from taiwan and then i currently live in new york i have been working with nick for quite some time and uh we really enjoying the day we live in taiwan Taipei. so we really wanted to introduce a lot of Taiwanese movie to to the audience, so this is why we we come here. Right, you you moved to uh, New York quite recently, isn't isn't that right? Yeah, just at uh, the beginning of this year, mm. and with my wife, and uh, because her job is asking her to move to New York for a couple of years, so we decided to, to move to to the United States to live for some time. Yeah. All right, and and then Nick, you're still in Taiwan. Yeah, so we kind of are in opposite countries. Like, uh, I'm I'm an American. I uh, I studied uh, film at, in Boston, and then I did a semester abroad in Taiwan. And then when I graduated, I loved Taiwan so much that I moved out here. Mm. And uh, I got a master's degree in international communication and became a freelance editor and started working on films, uh, my own kind of short films. And that's how I met Luke. Uh, we were work we worked on a film together and we liked working together so much that we continued to work together and then uh, we started a YouTube channel called Mint Volcano where we talk about uh, Taiwanese films in general but uh, like also sometimes we'll talk about like other kind of Asian films on the channel right so we have a, like a photographer and a director here mm -hmm. so uh, yeah Mint Volcano maybe a little bit about yeah. that yeah, so it's like uh, we we wanted to, like Luke said, we wanted to introduce Taiwanese films to kind of a Western audience because I think Taiwanese films are not talked about as much, I think, in like the general conversation. At least mm -hmm. that's what I find. Uh, and we just love movies and we love Taiwan. So it was like, okay, this is a good mix of things that we can discuss on our on our channel. Yeah, so indeed that you have a, quite a lot of collaboration, like at least in these, uh, yeah, I could watch a couple of your short films and this effects uh, was was a pretty pretty cool idea quite enjoyed it 
well done guys oh yeah yeah thanks for watching that yeah Thank we you. also put uh, short films on the channel that we've worked on so mm -hmm. Henrik how are you able to talk about films tonight what's your credentials otherwise you cannot talk about films of course <laughs> <laughs> my credentials are that I'm an alcoholic hobo yeah you hobo from yeah. the north of Finland. <laughs> from, from the north of Finland. Which, which makes me a professional to talk about Taiwanese New Wave. <laughs> <laughs> As I discovered, and no surprise there, Taiwanese new, new Wave is such a wide topic that it's impossible, just completely impossible to cover it in two hours or whatever we're going to record tonight. Because whew, there's a lot of films and so also gonna they don't really follow any any uh, specific theme in my opinion that there's a lot there's kind of like a more of the socio political films like a city of yeah. sadness and then there's more like a memory based um, <laughs> films from hosha shen for example a samurai's grandpas yeah uh, kind of the the early taiwanese new wave i would still say 1984 and then the later films from hosha shen i haven't seen uh, like mm. uh, What's this 2015 film? Assassins or what's the, what's the name? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Assassin. Yeah. The Assassin. The Assassin, yeah. Assassin. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah kind of curious about that. But anyway, so we're going to be concentrating on two directors from Taiwanese New Wave sort of kind mm -hmm. of movement. If you can call it movement, some people don't like to call it movement because it wasn't a cohesive movement per se, just a lot of uh, directors having some fun and finding kind of yeah, their, yeah. their voice, I guess. Mm -hmm. Why only two directors to be discussed for this episode? Well, I thought that it would be at least less heavy to just concentrate on these two directors. Um, I can perfectly see that we could do a second episode uh, about Taiwanese New Wave at some point. And yeah, of course, if you guys at the end of this recording are still willing, <laughs> you are very <laughs> welcome to do that in the future. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, Henrik. Do you want to kind of start this from somewhere? Um, no. <laughs> you can, you can, you can feel free and, and lead us into the discussion. Thank you oh. for throwing me under the bus. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Triple H, as some YouTuber called him, I don't know if this is a common way to call him, but Ho Ho Shen uh, is the point to start with if we go like a in a yearly chronological order here mm. ho Xian, as like edward yang they are both originally from mainland and then in their early years they they moved to taiwan mm -hmm. uh, ho Xian is born in 1947 and uh, is one of the most respected and known names from the movement if you ask the, the, the film Crème de la Crème out there, he's also one of the most respected directors of all time. And his film, A City of Sadness, has been in the top 200 lists, etc., etc., and countless awards. Mm. awards have been given for both of these directors. In fact, if you go look at these guys' bios on something like Wikipedia, it's basically like, these movies were shown at these uh, festivals and they get, uh, they received this and this prize and it's just, it's just like basically a list of winnings at these ceremonies. Yeah, okay, so um, there were some collaboration as well between some of these directors from the Taiwanese New Wave. Mm -hmm. uh, Edward Yang and Ho Xiaxian collaborated at least on the Taipei story. Ho Xiaxian has sold his apartment at least twice 
once mm-hmm. for <laughs> Edward Yang's Taipei story, in which uh, Hoja Shen as well starred in, mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. There, I think there's kind of like this brotherly thing going on and very close-knit um, community and uh, sharing of ideas. But they didn't collaborate that much, did they? Do, do you get the same feeling? Not that much. Yeah, they, you mean after after this movement, they don't collaborate? I, or I mean... think even during the during the movement, I think they, ah. while, while they shared ideas and uh, things like that, I don't think they kind of on the credits collaborated that much together. I might be wrong on that, but... But yeah, there's uh, a lot of shared themes and ideas. Yeah, I think you can definitely see like the influence that they had on each other, at least mm-hmm. in kind of spirit and like the way both of their styles definitely feel very similar when you watch their films. And then, like you said, they 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 were you know they would help each other by being in each other's movies, and and there was this kind of collaboration. But I also I think that they were very um, meticulous and like kind of. Uh, strong directors that had like very clear ideas so i think that each of their films were like their films right yeah if that makes sense makes sense and this this podcast is an interesting beast as well because we we are we are throwing all the possible spoilers out there when we are uh, speaking about this movie which in essence means that if somebody's going to listen to this then we kind of assume i guess that they have already seen the movies which are already mm. hard to find mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is for the super cinephiles out, out there. And once again, it seems that we have been, we have chosen a lot of movies for this episode that are <laughs> completely unavailable. But but yeah, there are ways. And because there are no other ways, for example, to find um, Ma Chong, yeah, well, definitely not on YouTube, but definitely yes, on YouTube, you can find it there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe really short history lesson as well. February 28th incident is a thing also called 228, which led to a period of white terror. From 1895 to 1945 was the Japanese colonial period of 50 years when the CCP, the Communist Party of China, started pushing the Kuomintang government, the ROC government, outside of of the mainland. They were forced to move to Taiwan and mix with the already existing population of, of Taiwanese. And this caused a bit of a clashes. And the mainlanders who came there and the Kuomintang were pretty soon known for, for the Taiwanese population for their, uh, let's call them rough ways and very rigid. It seemed that the, that the people already had gotten used to the, the 50 years of Japanese rule, rule in, in a way that mm. there were some favorable voices mm. Um, towards the, the Japanese um, uh, in, instead of the yeah. Kuomintang at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an interesting thing to note that a lot of the older generation uh, speak Japanese because they have that kind of favorable relationship with the Japanese. And like there's a lot of Japanese words mixed in with uh, Taiwanese. Right, yeah. Yeah, you could hear that in uh, uh, City of Sadness as well. They're using some Japanese vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. Also, one of the movie is made by Wu Nianzhen Go Dosang. It's about his father, and also his father talking well, pretty favorite in Japan. So, mm. also this kind of situation happened a lot in Taiwan's New Ways movie. Right, but then the entire nation or entire Taiwan was able to hear from the radio the news mm. that there was this um, February twenty seventh. Incident which grew into February twenty eighth, 
incident to give the short version and uh, tens of thousands of uh, Taiwanese were killed by the Kuomintang government mm-hmm. as a response for, for they were kind of tired of this uh, repression. Yeah, this started the, the, the martial law in Taiwan and officially ended only in the 80s. So 70s, I guess, was a really interesting period because in 71, Taiwan was re- removed from the UN in favor of the communist China. <laughs> mm-hmm. And people needed to find some kind of means to keep the economy going. And uh, it was apparently pretty interesting times for the middle class who started to take kind of matters into their own hands because the co- country was isolated. And in the 80s, it just, just somehow happened that there were more resources or more money for these new directors to explore and experiment and kind of do their own stories and start filmmaking. And and somehow these passed the censors before the, for example, the martial law was, was lifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Have, haven't ruined the show yet. Um, you got the stamp of approval. <laughs> Uh, okay, so, well, let's get the train rolling because we have four movies to go, so let's jump right into it. Ho Shaxian and A Summer at Cranpa's from 1984. Hmm. Henrik, your thoughts? Um, overall, I found it pretty good film. I did enjoy it a lot. Then again, I don't think that from today's lineup it is the, it, it would mm-hmm. be the strongest film. From from the four, four films that we covered today, this is my like third favorite, and in its kind of a story uh, execution, I found it to traverse the same similar threads that you saw a lot in the eighties cinema, like theme wise. Uh, the closest uh, kind of a reference point for Summer at Grandpa's. Like perhaps the most accessible reference point when it comes to plot structure would be something like My Neighbor Totoro. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, w- did you read about that there's an actual connection between these two films? Actually, I didn't find that. Yeah, Neighbor Totoro was inspired by this film. Am, am, am I correct on this assessment? Do you know, guys? Yeah, I had read that same thing, that the... Uh that the film was inspired. And if you look at the plot of the film, you can see a lot of similarities. And even if you look at um, kind of like the costume choices and the setting and like the way that it looks, there's a lot of similarities there too. So I think that that's probably true. Right. What's the title in in Taiwanese? Dong Dong the Jiaqi, the vacation of Dong Dong. Right. So it's a little bit different referring to the kind of lead character. So yeah, this is a story about basically two kids who start to go with their uncle to to the countryside where the grandpa lives and the, the grandpa is this kind of a, a doctor figure. Somebody said that this apartment that the, the grandpa lives in or the, the, the house, it's very reminiscent to Japanese countryside um, doctors uh, apartments where people would go for their visits appointments that's something that some japanese director or a movie enthusiast pointed out in a documentary that there's definitely like this similarities or, or shared culture between japan and taiwan in that way yeah uh for me it wasn't pretty interesting movie like what does uh ho Shashen want to say with this film if anything other than that then that it's a memory 
I got the feeling that maybe this is something that once was and not so much anymore. Uh, that kind of um, missing something that that has been long gone. What do you think, guys? Um, yeah, I think that that's that's pretty much like spot on. I think like in general, like you mentioned, like it's he is very connected to this idea of memory. I think a lot of Ho Xiaoxian's films have mm. this theme. And then I think the really interesting thing that he does is that he um, links himself to his form like very, uh, very rigidly. So he sets up this idea, I think, in this film that this is the perspective of these children. And then the form of the film matches that. And I think the way what he says when he does that is that like this is about this character's um, kind of coming of age and like realizing what's going on around him. And so I think that, that what he's trying to show is like the ways in which we mature. So at the beginning of the film, you kind of don't know what's going on. And then towards the end, you realize all these things that are happening around him, like that his mother's sick and that there's like this kind of affair going on and that these people were robbed. All this stuff is revealed very slowly. And I think it's kind of showing how over a certain time in your life, you just end up maturing very quickly and you move from being a kid to kind of understanding the world around you. Mm. Yeah, I feel that this film might be even more pertinent today in the age of cell phones and high technology, where I got the feeling that, for example, when the a bunch of kids were coming to, to say hi to Tuntung <laughs> once they got the word that the, he has arrived, I, I'm kind of getting the sense that this kind of a scene would not even happen anymore these days, like that the kids would be yeah. so enthusiastic that, oh, my friend is finally here. No cell phone. No, not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, I, I almost got kind of... Well, I did get a little bit teary-eyed watching this film because of mm. this. But I it doesn't kind of have some certain core to follow apart from this uncle who is a bit of a misbehaving person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think that, that that matches like what you were saying, like what I was kind of saying is like it matches this idea of like mem- of kind of like a memory that a kid would have about a time in summer, right? Like if you were to think back on a summer that you had once, it would kind of come to you in the same way that this film comes to you, where it's like these series of mm-hmm. kind of interesting things that have happened to you rather than a real plot, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes I thought that maybe the the whole uncle plot is jumping a bit too much to the forefront, unless mm. that there was something that I missed that they tried to convey with that storyline. But yeah, like you said, there's a lot of like childhood elements, like, beautiful countryside you see the trains passing by and swimming stealing clothes shitting <laughs> you know all the usual running naked naked and getting your ass whooped and gramophone and all this kind of nostalgic stuff yeah and um apparently seeing criminals do things and seeing a taiwanese elvis type of guy smashing somebody's head in with a rock <laughs> golden childhood <laughs> memories yeah I think the director trying to combine all these interesting <laughs> moments into one summer vacation. I don't think that they were able to happen so much things in one just one summer. So yeah. probably they do something like combine together, so make it more interesting. And then all about memories. So it's not really important like how long it happened. It's about it did happen or and. Uh, it makes you change in some time of your life. So I think 
uh, the main character Dong Dong is really reflecting the experience of Taiwanese people because often in that era, uh, you, your parents working in the city and your grandfather, grandmother living mm. in the countryside. So oftentimes you went to the, their house as a vacation and especially your, your, your parents still working or your parents could not take care of you. So you had to go to your grandfather's house to, you know, spending time. So a lot of people sharing this experience. So really interesting because because Taiwan has changed, Taiwan is modernized. Mm. So this kind of experience should be, you know, should be recalled by a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, kind of maybe getting some kind of Mahjong vibes in a sense that we're in Mahjong, well, talking about the movie already, but Mahjong, mm. it's kind of depicting the clash of maybe outlooks of people in a modern city with the capitalism. Mm -hmm. And maybe also... In Grandpa's, there is this obviously there's a huge appreciation for the countryside life, maybe this slower life, as opposed to the mm -hmm. city that they live. I kind of got the feeling that it would be great to do like your own version of this film. Henry, are you on board? Let's go to my summer house and grab the cameras. <laughs> we we have been planning on on doing something like this uh, or do a film collaboration yeah. at some point, but no, nothing ever actually came from that. What what happened to that Matrix film that was supposed to be based on Polish part of World War Two? Well, just the budget alone happened to that. Uh, also, some kind of a Polish hack director kind of sort of made it already. <laughs> hack director. <laughs> well, that movie was a little bit of hack, but that that movie was hack. <laughs> but uh, some something that I. Kind of appreciated a lot with uh, a summer with grandpas was that I I found it that the movie works in uh, in a certain way as an indirect mm. sister piece to City of Sadness mm. and I'm I'm stretching the indirectly part here. Um, obviously, the both films they they cover a different era and therefore they are not not straighted strictly linked to each other, but. There is the the aspect that in in summer at at Grand Pass, like Nick stated, the it essentially it's a coming of age story that is told in in a course of one summer. That kind of a works like um, with a city of sadness. Like if you would warp the or flip the the periods on their heads. So that in here you have like a coming of age and then in the City of Sadness you would have like this depiction of that film's universe's modern times, like the topical times of that period. A second thing that I did find actually quite interesting as a unifying theme between Grandpa's and City of Sadness is that like you guys pointed out on on when you were talking about the city of sadness on your youtube channel is that that film is told very much in in the form of of individual stories that are kind of a mm. put together that there are different stories that happen in the film's narrative and that's also something that happens in grandpa's what, what like with city of sadness you have these individual stories that all center around this one family and you have like different members of that family and what happens to them. You have the story of Tuntun who comes to spend a, a summer with his grandpa. 
you have the story of of Tuntun's sister who forms the connection with the village artist. You have the story of the uncle and basically how he clashes with the grandpa. And you also have the story of the titular grandpa. So you have the... Depending on how you want to count them, you have like three or four generations and presentation from each generation. And then you have an individual story, what happens to them in the course of, of this one particular summer. And that's something that plays out also in City of Sadness in form of the four brothers. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I felt that in a City of Sadness, almost every character, if not every character, has some kind of arc. Maybe not completely finished arc, because mm-hmm. these movies of Ho Shaoxian kind of try to depict uh, kind of a period of time. Uh, and it starts kind of abruptly and ends abruptly. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. a snapshot in time. Yeah. But what I really enjoy is the richness in the characters. And that it's so inherently concentrating on these characters. He's a very character-driven director. Mm, yeah. Did you feel that there was something missing from this film? Or it worked as it is? In my opinion, it worked as it was. Like I don't feel that there was anything missing. Some might, of course, criticize the fact that like you pointed out, Kari, there really mm. is no like narrative center here. Mm. It very much is like like story A, story B, story C, story D, and then they they come together or they work against each other at points. But it's very much like this it, these individual beats, right? And the unifying theme is that it's this one summer, and there's a lot that kind of gets dropped. Like for example, the sister's story uh, very much is but overshadowed by, uh, overshadowed by Tuntun's story. And then there's this co- connection with the village artist, which doesn't go anywhere, actually. And it just kind of gets dropped as the film ends. Some might take an issue with this and say that this is this is a narrative vote. I don't share that opinion. But that, of course, also for me comes from the place that, like I mentioned, uh, this is something that, for example, in, in Swedish and Finnish films you saw in, in certain time periods of, of Swedish filmmaking, for example. Like you have the, mm-hmm. the email, Wahtraman Emily. Emily stories and movies based on that that also have kind of not a similar structure per se, but yeah. they have kind of the same vibe where the point of the film is to follow the main character, the titular email, in the course of X amount of time, like one summer or one year or something like that. And it's just a collage of what happens to email in, in the course of time. So I've kind of already gotten used to that type of, of narrative storytelling. And so now seeing it, it in, in campus didn't bother me. It might bother some people in the same way, for example, that the the similar plot structure or in, in Totoro also bothers some people. Some people really don't like my neighbor Totoro because of this fact. So it's kind of, what is your cup of tea? I enjoyed it and for me it wasn't an issue. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that assessment. It's like, if you take the film on the terms that the film sets up of like, that this is going to be this way where it's going to be these kind mm-hmm. of 
vignette kind of experiences and you're following the characters and it's not really about showing this kind of plot driven story then you enjoy it but if you kind of are clinging to the idea of like what's the plot what's going to happen what's going on then you might not enjoy it but you you just kind of have to go with what the film wants to do and accept it on its own terms rather than trying to mm. kind of make it into a movie that it isn't <laughs> yeah yeah just just give up the uh, conventional storytelling uh, ideas in your head and just let it go yeah then it works the best there's some humor also in this film more maybe in edward yang's production but well mm. i can't say that the hemorrhoids are very pleasant i haven't experienced myself but it's used for <laughs> comedic purposes here here <laughs> things like that anything else or do we already want to go to a city of sadness at this point yeah we can we can keep it rolling yeah a city of sadness yeah <clears throat> well, it's gonna be a little more complicated and heavily tied to history but then again you made the notion that this is not so much about the it's not to, how to make any kind of a political statement per se it's just kind of mm. observing the people during those times and how they experienced that from their perspective just living their normal lives and uh, having to deal with this all kind of uh, external annoyances mm. yeah that's right i think that it's more of a like I, we mentioned in our review of it that uh, when the movie came out, a lot of people were upset that it wasn't more political because it was kind of marketed as this political commentary film. Yeah. But it's really more of a character drama that just happens to be set at a very political time in Taiwan's history. What, what's actually, I wanted to ask from Luke, what, what's the general feeling of people towards Kuomintang today? Because the, the party still exists and is uh, very much, uh, I understand, Part of the politics there so how much does the, the the past of the the politics of that party bother them or the nation uh it depends how uh, the generations uh in my generation it kind of passed away people don't record it a lot but if it's like my father's generation people really you know mm. uh, do care about it and so it's why Nowadays, Kuomintang is not really able to, you know, be the uh, leading party right now because they do a lot of things that people in Taiwan doesn't really enjoy. Like uh, they take a lot of resources, they take some bad decisions about, you know, how to govern Taiwan. So yeah, this is real, real story, and people in Taiwan really could not get over it. So. They even think that the Kuomintang doesn't really care about Taiwan. They just wanted to take Taiwan as a temporary base to go over mainland China. So even nowadays, people in Taiwan doesn't really trust Kuomintang because they don't think Kuomintang is really wanted to uh, stay in Taiwan. So this is why uh, the political, uh, the Mintintang uh, is, uh, is more supported by Taiwanese people. Mm. Yeah, and City of Sadness is is written by Wu Nianzhen. Uh, is a scriptwriter, and he basically writing this script in his I don't know maybe his personal experience. So pretty good. I mean, I really like the script Wu Nianzhen writing because makes the story really, really, really realistic. Right. What about then jumping into different territory, the the threat of China? How, how do you feel with these uh, current comments from 
from mainland China trying to pick up a fight? <laughs> Is it more of the same? <laughs> uh, have you kind of seen it already? Are you worried yeah. about it? Oh, well, actually, we, we didn't think China will take over Taiwan. Even now, right. even the media kind of puts away, I mean, take pressure of oh, how many China will uh, take medical action over Taiwan. But we pers- I personally doesn't think so because they just wanted to create an enemy. Uh, mm. I mean, the enemy doesn't necessarily real. I mean, I don't know. I just don't think uh, many China will take action to Taiwan because they take action. There's no reason they have to take action uh, or ruin Taiwan. There's no benefit for them to, to take over island, which is, is be ruined. So it's just a way people wanted to, to stick together with an enemy. I mean, if you create an enemy, then you probably have more reason to you know, uh, stick together. This is a mm. political way of having people support political parties. So uh, for me, it's not, I just wanted to be, make Taiwan better. No, I, I don't want to create an enemy, which might not necessarily to be real. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think this real threat of communist party. But I, I do think we are not, we totally not acceptable to be take over by the communist party. You know, we are democratic, mm. and uh, we are, we are, we are free. We are country Taiwan. So we really wanted to keep our self integrity. So there's no reason we wanted to be take over by the mainland China. So we will stick right now, and we will take, uh, we will seeking a chance to be to be a, a, a country like 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 you know normally so, so just so so just time about time thinking <laughs> thinking the opportunities till the day comes so right so so the dynamics may be a little bit different compared to finland and russia mm-hmm. although we both have super big neighbors that become a little bit how do you say belligerent every now and then <laughs> That that could be a whole another podcast if you want to talk about the, <laughs> yeah. the political, political situation. It's another three hours. Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> but speaking of politics and history, I was uh, telling in the beginning of the episode about the, the whole uh, February twenty eighth and uh, the White Terror, and this is kind of what what the film is all about. Yeah, a city of sadness that that's surrounding the people, and yeah, I found that the Japanese are are painted in a pretty decent light in the film as well. Insofar as the film is trying to paint anything, but yep. Yeah, I think from the perspective of the characters, they have a good, a good attitude towards uh, Japan because I think the people at that time felt that way. Yep, and I I feel that after Cranpas, there's even more of these uh, static shots and even longer static shots. He's mm. starting to get that right, <laughs> getting into the. Well, I mean, I love uh, directors such as Timing Liang. <laughs> I, I I had a little bit of crowing pains when I was getting into this really artistic cinema and Timing Liang was one of the directors that I was checking out as my first directors in the in the yeah, field. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have uh, watched something from like uh, Stray Dogs. We watched with Henrik mm. on this podcast from him. But yeah, so we are following this one family and their struggles during this time. How did you feel about kind of the cin- cinematography? Is there anything to to know that anything special about that? 
there's a lot of depth and and trying to show as much of the action in one shot as possible is pretty impressive mm-hmm. for a yeah, long period um, of time. Yeah, I think that the, what he does with the cinematography is is like kind of my thinking about him as a director is that he he likes to um, stick to a certain form, whereas he he he's decided that okay, I'm gonna take a perspective. And I think as a director, he really likes this idea of like third person limited, where it's like he he can only see what the characters could see. So he gives you this one shot and he doesn't want to cut around and give you too many angles and too many things to see because he really wants to highlight the fact that this is a singular perspective and you can only really see it from this side of it. And so that's why he kind of does this static staging that kind of goes through the whole scene. And then what that allows you to do is it allows you as an audience member to kind of notice a lot more in a way if you're if you're if you have the patience and you're looking for it, because he's not telling you what to look at, uh, particularly by like cutting in on something that's important. He's kind of showing it all and you get a lot of agency to kind of say, okay, what am I going to focus on? What am I going to notice? What are the things that are going to stand out for me? Yeah, it's interesting in general in uh, at least, let's say, the Japanese films from, for example, the '90s and uh, Taiwanese cinema here is that they they have in common that they have a lot of full shots, long shots, whatever, taken from a distance and holding mm. it for a long time. In Japanese case, I don't know if it's more like a economical thing to do or what, <laughs> what, why they pull that off because it's not often that impressive in those cheap Japanese films from the '90s that I've seen. Mm. For example, the horror genre. <laughs> but uh, they do that and they barely have any close-ups in many of them mm. yeah it's something that yeah it might, it, it might be like yeah. working together where like they have this limitation and then they decided to build up a style around the limitation that they set for themselves yeah it could be i remember when we were talking about the ring the american and japanese versions how there's like a noticeable lack of close-ups or or different shot sizes in many scenes that are supposed to be horrifying and and this is a totally different way of depicting those same scenes. So, so have yeah. you have you seen a film called Cure? I have, yeah, long time ago. Yeah, I think I think that that is like the best version of what you're talking about with Japanese yeah. horror, where mm-hmm. they set it. They they it's the same kind of thing, but it's done very well. Where it's like it's kind of more of like an arty horror film, and it's similar mm-hmm. to to uh, Ho Jian yeah. in that way. I think. Okay. The way of the cinematography, yeah. There's a lot of um, contrast that the director seems to put on the table. Um, some of them, these may not be so fully meditated, but they are there anyways. For example, in the beginning of the film, we have this contrasting of Hirohito's declaration over the radio with the woman giving mm. birth. So kind of the daily struggles shown there in a pretty masterful way of contrasting these lives of the ordinary citizens against the people of people in power quite nice framing in this film as well um, trying trying to put as many layers in a shot as possible mm. I, I think luke you enjoy doing that as well mm. kind of fra- framing and giving like a crazy depth to some of some of your pictures some of those architecture pics and stuff like that mm. and the, the the beauty of the country is given some focus there's these walks around the mountains and fantastic soundtrack, by the way. There's not a, not a lot of it, but what you hear here is pretty iconic stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And you kind of noted about the possible silent film love, right? There's these title cards when our lead character is uh, writing the notes because he's deaf. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I I think that that's a pretty interesting thing to note is like how he, how it takes on that silent film kind of vibe, but it's motivated by the the fact that one of the characters is deaf and writing these notes. And Luke told me that Ho Shao Shen is like really in love with the old silent films of Taiwan. Yeah. There's this uh, short moment of reference to September 18th, which I believe is about uh, the Manchurian incident. Mm. And yeah, that is quickly glanced over. And I, I I kind of felt that also the February 28th is pretty fast. It's 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 talked about in pretty quick fashion and it's not emphasized. And there's some scenes where there's fighting, not in the tens of yeah. thousands or anything. There's just a couple of dudes on the street and they are beating each other to death. Mm. Yeah. So this was something that was also criticized about the film that, yeah, it's not giving enough serious focus on this. But, right. Yeah it's, yeah. it's a film that's supposed to be about 228 and then you never see 228 happen, which right. I think is a pretty gutsy move as a director as where he has decided that he's not going to show it because he wants to stick with the perspective of his characters. So, you know, it's this major event that really affects everything that happens in the film but you don't even see it. You kind of hear it secondhand over the radio. I think as as a director, he doesn't like to beat you over the head with anything. So it just kind of, like you said, it kind of goes by. And yeah. if you catch it, you catch it. And if you don't, you don't. <laughs> yeah, and then the other other thing is that the, the film kind of chooses to focus more, I felt, on the, the smuggling mafia, uh, the, the, the mm. smuggling operations than the government or whatever is going on in, in the background. There's this the smugglers and... Yeah, February 28th, quickly glanced, and that's it. Oh, correct me if I'm wrong, Luke, but I think that mm-hmm. I think one of the things that he was trying to say was kind of show the connection of like how corrupt the government was because the, the smugglers will use like the government basically as like a pawn in their gang operations. So if somebody messes with them, their gang in a way they don't like then they'll go tell the government oh hey this guy's a communist so go take him away as like payback yeah so i think exactly right yeah there's a a couple of these these scenes where somebody's reading this book or that book or doing something that might land them into trouble uncomfortable feeling is all around the film for these characters which i think also gets uh, augmented by the the way that he decided to shoot it with this like far away uh, shots, yeah. which is something I mentioned in the review, is like it gives you this vibe of of somebody watching you, like an informant is always kind of watching you from, like you mentioned, the uh, different kind of levels, uh, like in the framing. So it mm. gives you the sense that you're very far away and you're spying on somebody and picking up this information that you can use against them later. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, it it's kind of like. <laughs> Somebody silently observing, kind of like getting the creepy vibes that it could be somebody who's out to get you or, yeah, yeah, yeah just watching from a distance. Oh, yeah. Did you get that feeling, Henrik? Um, I see where that feeling is coming from. I myself didn't experience it. Mm. Right. And was there something about this this camera possibly being, I think it was your idea, Nick, that, that this this camera could be depicting the memories of the children of those times and observing their parents. Yeah, I, I think I, I, that was another idea I had thought about because often the angle is kind of a little bit lower. It's a little bit um, 
and and also like like with uh samurai grandpas the, there is a lot of kind of disjointed f- feeling to some of the scenes so in my mind i some i think that this might be the piece together memory of uh you know a child that viewed these events and then grew up later mm-hmm. and so you're uh, you're the viewer as are this perspective of this child and i think that's kind of also supported by what uh luke said is that this was written by Unianjian, and it's kind of about his memories so yeah yeah not a very accessible film really you need like you said it's clear that you need to read a little bit about do your due diligence i guess uh, before you jump into this film even so that you can fully enjoy what you're witnessing because <laughs> there's not a lot of title cards well there's in the, something in the in the beginning and in the end but yeah you can't really understand the proceedings here unless you know a little bit about the history yeah, I actually don't side with that no, uh, notion. I didn't think okay. that this feeling, uh, film is really that hard to get into. Mm-hmm. There are some historical events that you might miss if you don't know about the Taiwanese history. Perhaps the biggest things being the exact exchange of power from the Japanese overrulers to, to the Chinese and then the... Uh, 228 incident Th- yeah. those perhaps being like like the biggest but at the same time since the film pays so little attention to the political realities that goes on in the in Taiwan during the time period that the movie is depicting and it's more focused on on the family and uh, the four brothers even more than that to the three brothers because the fourth one is well well kind of just wallpaper essentially Hmm. so what you then then like if you come into this completely fresh perspective knowing nothing about the Taiwanese history what you are left with is an is an period piece going around or revolving around three brothers and then pretty easily understandable societal context like for example the the Stasi-esque police operation, nicking people from the street for undisclosed crimes, basically the, the institutional power and institutional violence held uh, upon an individual, which is a universal concept, very easily to un- very easily understandable concept. And therefore, I really don't think that you... There is that high of an entry barrier, uh, barrier into the movie. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm. That was some of the criticism uh, when it came to the reviews uh, on the film, at least at the time. But yeah, what what is certain is that there is very, 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 very low knowledge in Europe, I would say, regarding Taiwan. So that o- might Overall, have... like knowing, uh, no, knowing anything about the East, during the 30s, during the 40s. Well, I, I would say overall. Yeah, which might have been affecting also the, the popularity of the Taiwanese new wave because it really didn't break through except for EE, which was popular and, and everybody was ecstatic about that film. But other than that, nobody knows about the Samurai Grandpas in Europe. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But that can also be just your common well foreign film problem that mm. all foreign movies 
phase, it kind of circulates. I've noticed that mm. what country actually gets the the foreign movie kind of a perspective that the the light shine on them. Like now, it might be Polish film, then it's a French film. Then it's mm-hmm. Korean movies. Yeah. Well, now we are having the Korean wave thanks to Parasite, mm-hmm. and it's it's going to shift. Like we, it always it, it jumps from country to country, and the country that is on the spotlight well gets all the praise. Well, all of a sudden, the entire world finds like tons of great directors from that set country, and all the other country, countries around the world just well they, they don't actually get anything. Yeah. Well, I guess we need to move on to Mahjong, if you're okay with that. Yeah. Let's do it, yeah. Obviously, this is a bit of a wild card here, because there's <laughs> a lot of other movies that I could have chosen for this episode. But when I started to watch these films, and I, I just thought about the simple favorites of mine at, at, at this moment, I haven't watched every possible Taiwanese new wave film or anything like that. But mm. this kind of, this, I enjoyed this quite a bit, and... It's been receiving also some criticism, but yeah, it's also seen by many as a masterpiece. Like, I guess all of Edward Yang's films are more or less yeah. masterpieces. So <laughs> there's the scale of EE and then everything else. So everything, I guess, gets gets a little bit shadowed by EE in his, in his projects. But yeah, how about Luke? What, what, Luke, what, you, what did you think about mm-hmm. Mahjong overall. I really enjoy it. It's one of the happiest movie of Edward Young because the ending is kind of uh comedy, I think. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's it's a happy ending. It's it's not common you can see in Edward Young's movie. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's it's really talking about uh transition in modern era, like uh especially Taiwan is found, you know, in the nowhere become big city, especially in Taipei. Um, so there's a lot of conflict between internationally and the people living in Taipei, Taiwan has kind of feeling about what they should be believed in their life, like what they should follow. Because in this movie, uh, the main character is following really simple a piece of philosophy like uh, thinking with your head not your emotion so but mm. at the end the person comes this way sometimes the emotion the feeling is more important than than just just reasonable thinking sometimes it give you hopes give you a reason to live so it's really romantic kind of film i think in terms of edward young's work i just I just think it's it's interesting that Luke says that it, it's like a, a romantic and and happy film of his because I think there's this dialectic within Edward Young as as a director and probably a person if I knew him I don't know but uh, he he he's very pessimistic about human nature but he's also very sentimental and hopeful and I think this film kind of does both and there's both sides of it like it's really in some ways a really angry movie that's very pessimistic about human nature and the way that people mm-hmm. treat each other and the mm-hmm. way that society is set up but it also has like luke mentioned this kind of happy ending sort of where the two main characters get together and thank god and i think that that is what he wants to say is that like you know 
if you just allow yourself to be sentimental, then maybe you can kind of break out of this terrible cycle of taking advantage of each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this this ending really kept me on, on my toes. Like, please, please have a happy ending for this one. At least, please. <laughs> <laughs> and there it was. I was so relieved and happy. <laughs> yeah. I felt that it's it's quite pessimistic still but a mm, very very agree. clear and fascinating um, split with between the people who care and the people who don't the, yeah. the capitalist pigs let's say and then the the people <laughs> who still have emotions left henrik i guess yeah. you have a lot of thoughts on that uh what exactly the capitalism or the film in question well what what do your notes say about capitalism Capitalism, evil, evil, evil. <laughs> no, no, God, God heavens, God, we, we think it has to be capitalism, great, great, great. Salute, <laughs> fucking everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Balloons and happiness in multicolor. But yeah, uh, Mahjong uh, came out in, in 96. Mm. So very much the society that we are, at least if you ask me, the society that we are looking at here would be the... The time on following the kind of economic boom of the 1980s. And like after the point, perhaps when when the, the four Asian tigers were, were kind of named or, or formed. Mm. Like on, on the brink of the Asian uh, financial crisis. So somewhere in, in the economic breaking point. With that... It's it's not exactly the, the question, main question that the film asks, at least in my opinion, which is the what we lose with capitalism and with the with the economic might that we are now receiving versus the more traditional but not as rich history that we have had, and and the clash between the modernity and something that we had in the past. That's a, in my opinion is kind of like like the the thematic core of Mashong. It's something that we have witnessed in the podcast previously. Like this is the, the same debate that, for example, Akira has going on behind it. Mm. Like we we have the techno the technological and the economic boom, and at the same time, what does it mean for the society, and is it a good or bad thing? In Akira, it manifested manifested through rampant technological advancement and moral corruption. In here, it manifests mostly in form of moral corruption. Pretty much every character in Makong that we follow is some type of a crook, <laughs> or at least a petty criminal. And as a film altogether... I have to say, it wasn't exactly my cup of tea. Okay. It makes an interesting contrasting piece when you look at it. This uh, when you look at Mahong and then look at Yi Yi, where Yi Yi, I took that. I I I started to experience that this is a director that is very very strong on the uh, the the dramatic apartment. Like when when he's dealing with with drama elements, that's his forte. Mm. And Yi Yi, pure drama and really, really stellar filmmaking. So Mahong would be kind of the the branching out feature for him. Something where he goes, uh, he he stays in the drama still, but he also branches out into crime movie, into into comedy. And 
I just didn't feel that that ended up working here. It's a it's a brave attempt, but at the end of the day, unfortunately, if you ask me, kind of futile. I do believe that if the director would follow, uh, uh, kind of make a make a second attempt uh, to do this kind of a dark comedy. Uh, something in the, for example, the Cohen Brothers-esque sentimentality that is something that I did find in, or, or something that I did think when I was watching Mahong that this is, this is something, this is an attempt to do something like that. Or, or do a similar type of film to, for example, Cohen Brothers dark comedies. On, on a second attempt, I do think that it could perhaps work better, but unfortunately, in with this film, I kind of have to side with the critics. Mm. Nick, did you get any... This might be a bit wild stretch, but mm. still, was it uh, in 93 or 94, Pulp Fiction came out, and I got kind of similar type of uh, shot ideas from, for example, when when this guy with the cap whose father has killed himself, he goes and goes and shoots this uh, business business guy. And yeah. 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 Maybe, yeah. Uh, no, I think it's interest. It's really interesting. I I, I disagree uh, that that. I mean, it's just personal preference. But I, I actually really enjoy this movie, and yeah. I think it's interesting when you've seen his other works that this is like a comedy. It kind of took me by surprise that all the comedic elements. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned Pulp Fiction because while I was watching it, I was thinking, maybe I'm just getting too meta with the way that he thinks. But I I, I almost felt like it was mirroring. He was doing like a weird kind of he's talking about globalization in this film. And then at that time, that was the type of film that was popular was this kind of, you know, violent mm. kind of sardonic mm. movie where people kind of have these kind of inane blathering conversations. And that's what he does with this. And in a way, I almost feel like he's using that as another element to talk about how globalization is affecting everything. It's even affecting the way this movie is being made because I imagine probably some of the financing came from him being like, Hey, this is like a Pulp Fiction thing and we have this crime and we have this comedy <laughs> elements. And so it's kind of mirroring this thing of like, this is the, these markets are affecting everything we do and it's even affecting this film. I mean, I think the ending where there's this bloody <laughs> murder is done very tongue-in-cheek like the way that the guy the one of the the characters freaks out and shoots this guy and he keeps shooting him over and over and over and over again i get the sense that edward young is doing this to like mock the audience being like do how many times do you want to see this guy get shot do you want to see it 10 do you want to see it 20 like i'm gonna give you i'm just gonna go give you what you want because you <laughs> you are just eating the slop like that. that's kind of the way I, <laughs> I feel about it yeah and in general yeah, yeah. maybe the kind of dehumanizing uh, element is pretty pretty strong here um, for example this Marcus guy Martha is listening to what what Marcus is saying about these other people basically these people mm. do that and these people do these things and these people this and that the future of western civilization lies right here it's basically completely discarding the the population and, and taking yeah. the feelings out of the equation and at that point martha is like yeah i'm out of here yeah and, and that... just and and one more thing sorry just that i think that if you do take it that way of like it's a kind of a mocking of these kind of slick like Pulp Fiction or something like that. Then when you put the um, 
when you put the sentimentality back in, I think that makes that commentary much stronger because those films are very unsentimental. And so it's taking that film, this kind of like these cool 90s kind of crime films and then putting a sentimentality back into it, which I think is very important to Edward Yang. Yeah, and a lot of parallels, like the, the boredom nature, if you will, of the capitalism. And then there is this one lady who's trying to get Martha to to do the kind of boredom life to keep yeah. afloat in the city. And the, the film repeatedly makes the statement that there's something ominous about kissing, that you, sh you shouldn't do that, or you're wasted, basically. You're gone, and you're ruined. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. these guys are avoiding the feelings as much as possible. I mean, I think it's really, I love the way that he, um, Edward Young, introduces um, ideas like that, mm -hmm. uh, because I think in one way it could be kind of heavy-handed, but because he introduces this kind of theme of like, okay, don't kiss because it's bad luck. It comes early in the film and it's kind of like a joke and mm -hmm. you don't really know that this is such an important element. And then later it comes back with this other character who kisses the woman and then ends up falling in love. And then you see, oh yeah, if you kiss somebody, then you're going to ruin your life mm -hmm. because <laughs> emotions will take over. And then it end, then the, at the end of the film, <laughs> you have this kiss and you see like, oh, actually, there. this is kind of the point of the film. It was like giving yourself over to emotions. I, I just think he, he, he puts these, these things in subtly throughout. And then as you watch it, you end up slowly realizing what is going on. And I think Edward Young is very good at doing that throughout all of his films. Yeah, so whereas uh, all, the, all the people who were out to get some lady for kind of a one-night stand or whatever, and not having an emotional kiss, those guys will be ruined. Yes. easily but but by the end i don't think martha and lundun are ruined that is no. the, the case is for the right reasons could i ask a question because yeah. uh, i don't really know why there's no mahjong in the movie right am i am i wrong there's one uh scene where they play mahjong in the um in the hostel it's like in the background they're playing mahjong oh right, right oh yeah right but why Edward, Edward Young wanted to call this movie Mahjong. That's a good movie. question. <laughs> maybe it's something about the mechanics any... of the characters. Yeah. Oh, maybe. <laughs> it's very interesting. So, Just the only thing I could think of is that when you play Mahjong, you are hiding your hand, right? You don't want the other people to know oh. what, you're looking, what you're looking for. And, mm. and everybody is trying to get some... Like the game of Mahjong is you're trying to get a win by somebody else putting down a tile. So mm -hmm. if somebody else puts down the tile you need, you can take it from them. They lose, you win. It's a, it's a yeah. zero-sum game. So I think that mm. this is kind of mirrored in the way that the characters think about life. Is like Life is a zero-sum game. I need to get what I need from him, and I can't mm -hmm. show him what I want, but I need to get it. I still need to get it. So I, th yeah. I think that's kind of maybe what he's talking about. Yeah, one more maybe. point about the point about Mar Martha and, and Lundun. They, they, are, they are the outsiders, even though... Lunlun lives in in the city, but Martha is also kind of, they are both outsiders. They are emotionally outside of everything that is happening around them. Mm. So that kind of strongly connects them. One question about this uh, Hong Kong character. He's kind of being treated as a sexual object by the ladies <laughs> and everybody. Yeah. And mm -hmm. what's happening with the food that they are feeding to him? Is it poisoned or <laughs> what happens there? Did you get that? Oh, it's a scene where they're they're forcing him to they want him to eat. Yeah. And then he's eating, right? And then mm -hmm. he starts to choke. Yeah. I th I think I don't think it's poison, but I think the idea was that they were just kind of like 
force he didn't want to eat and they're trying to force him to do what he doesn't want to so i think it was supposed to be kind of a metaphor for them fucking him and like in a way that they didn't want to so they were it was they were forcing him and so i think that he was trying to show the sex without showing the sex that's what at least what i took out of it right yeah and I think the reason he cried is because he he's in love with one of the woman Angela, and the end Angela ending up bring her friend to to him to ask him to you know amuse them, so which make him really sad. Yeah, yeah. So so he choked. He just angry, and then all of a sudden he just cry out. So yeah, this is the this <laughs> is the there's this eating scene, and then there is the sort of a toilet scene where he's crying there and, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, little yeah, Buddha yeah, is yeah. like did you go get somebody and i guess he really didn't he was just hurt by these ladies mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah all right the, yeah the one the one thing that i really was interesting that luke mentioned to me before we were talking about it was that he didn't like some of the acting from the um mm. chinese actors chinese and actors. i actually and yeah, and, and I actually didn't like the acting from the Western actors. <laughs> right. uh, I thought Marta was okay, <laughs> but I thought Marcus was really, I mean, it, oh. was, it's, it was real painful at some points. And as uh, Ginger, the character of Ginger, some of the acting was just really, just very sterile and very weird. Yeah, w- was it bad acting from the Marcus actor or was it just the, I really disliked the <laughs> character in the film? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. He sounded pretty uh, literary, right? Something really stiff about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just I I don't know. It's it's interesting because I don't know if it was some kind of choice, but also it just it was hard to watch, especially at the start of the film when it was mostly the like Marcus interacting with people, and you just think, oh, I just I can't watch this guy. <laughs> Somebody made the point that maybe it is partly intentional to make them kind of stand mm. out as the as the people who are maybe not comfortable and not in their home zone and something like that. Mm, yeah. Mm. I definitely think that uh, Edward Young does things with a lot of intention, so that makes a lot of sense. Right. All right. I guess we need to move on to EE. How about that? Yeah. Right. Uh, that's another three hours, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> oh boy, where to start this? EE film from uh, 2000, the second Edward Young film of tonight. Oh well, we're again uh, going around this. One family, basically, and what's happening around them in three generations. And maybe it's kind of the, the, the differences between these generations and everything about life and death and what is meaningful and what is not. Pretty much a sister piece to my song spiritually, I would say. Hmm. Henrik, have you seen this before? I haven't. Uh, from from today's lineup, Gigi is the most accessible film in Finland. This is like yeah. the Taiwanese movie that actually breaked in Finland or or got a relatively noticeable, noticeable distribution. It's something that the Finnish public TV network Yle likes to showcase to you uh-huh. every now and then. It's kind of a repeated schedule <laughs> viewing. And it also got mildly wide DVD release in in Finland. So the 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 one that you most easily walk across if you're just browsing movies movies and you happen to live in Finland. But I still somehow managed to miss this one. <laughs> Something that jumped at me in the film is that every time there is some 
kind of a gathering. There's uh, weddings, there's funerals, or some other parties, and every time there's somebody to ruin that party. <laughs> some kind of a gatecrasher ruining the evening. Not, nothing is really going according to plan. Breaking kind of the, how did they describe it in, in the film? The serenity or whatever that is broken. Mm. Mm. So this film would be the one to show the aliens, Nick, right? This is the film right. you would show them. Yeah, I mean, it's such a, it's it's hard to begin to talk about because I think it just covers such a wide breadth of the human experience. Mm. You know, there's, there's it follows the, the family, so it has the advantage of kind of following all these different characters all in different stages of their life. Mm. So you see kind of the struggles that each of these characters goes through, and it's a struggle that's kind of unique to the time period or the person that they are. And you kind of see all these different emptiness that kind of can develop in a human in modern life. So, you know, you have uh, the father kind of pining over a lost love, and then you have the mother kind of feeling like she's useless. And then you have the daughter kind of not knowing who she is or what she wants to be and having a friend who she kind of thinks is a better version of her. And so you have all these different conflicts. And I think it really, if you look at it as a whole, you really feel like, oh yeah, that's that kind of longing and that emptiness is exactly what it means kind of to be a person. <laughs> if, yeah, if I wanted to sh show aliens what it was like to be a human, I would show them this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is clearly the, the most well-known, I would say, of the Taiwanese new wave cinema movement. Now, perhaps outside of Ang Lee. Yeah, yeah. Eat, drink, man, right. woman. I was kind of contemplating should i bring a drink man woman into the podcast and i was like well you know if we bring in mahjong it already has the kind of humor aspect there right. so <laughs> and yeah two directors i said it's kind of enough yeah i think sticking to two directors is <laughs> um mm -hmm. and uh, yeah in other random facts eddie ko is returning as the soldier in this film uh, in mm. that um bar or restaurant who was playing the character of Lun Lun in the previous one. Yeah, and uh Unian Jian is the main actor who is the uh who is bit parts throughout the other films. He plays uh one of the gangsters in Mahjong and he also is a character in City of Sadness as well and he wrote City of Sadness. Mm -hmm. mm. Uh sadly uh Chang Chon uh, hasn't really played in any other movies. He was playing the Yang Yang in the film. Mm. And also a pretty impressive performance, I would say, for for a kid who was like what five, six, seven when doing this mm. film, really young anyway. And... Yeah, yeah, he's the he's got the kind of the star character arc. I feel like he's got the most enjoyable character arc, and I think uh, the name Yang Yang is like a clue that this is what uh, Edward Yang sees as like himself, right? <laughs> Speaking of names, uh, Luke, would you care to explain us the meaning of EE? -E? Why you call EE? -E? Yeah. Well, it's, there is a lot of explanation. I mean, sometimes some people say it's because uh, number two in Chinese character is combined with two, mm -hmm. one, right? And, but still, even a couple stick together, they are still separate. Each one has uh, individual, they are all feel lonely sometimes. So, <laughs> kind of two which lines. Mean, yeah kind of two lines, yes. So, which means even you married, even you have some relationship with someone else, you still, you alone, you still, the loneliness is in, is still in your, in your, in, in your life. There's no way you can 
escape from it. So some some people say e is because even two is is is, is two one. So yeah, well, it's one explanation, and and I feel well, yeah, probably true is it. Yeah, together, together, but always separate. Yeah, right. Yeah, something like this. Mm. And the English title is a one, a two, a two. one, and a two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Herrick, what do your notes say about EE? Let's use them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think we usually just skip over. I, I just go on, and we skip like eighty percent of your notes. So go ahead. <laughs> uh, mostly when whenever we have a guest because I, I have the policy mm -hmm. that whenever we have a guest appearing I want to have the guest have the spotlight so I keep my mouth shut but I found that the well first of all like I already stated I liked this one way more than I actually enjoyed Mark Chong mm -hmm. but I did find Yi Yi as a, as a quite interesting kind of a carryover piece from Mahjong when it comes to the theme of, of of this kind of a spiritual or intellectual corruption that the money that the monetary wealth can have on you uh, in Mahjong like already mentioned all the characters are crooks but they're also the, the crooked nature kind of comes in hand in hand with these visual implications of a of a kind of this Western capitalistic corruption seeping into into Taiwan, like like Gary mentioned, there was Marcus who was just talking about these people and how there is so much possibilities to be gained mm. on or in in Taiwan, and it's just a just a just a like a code bar that you can just hack pieces for yourself. One of the main characters' father was mixed up in some type of a, was a, in in a construction scheme revolving around the kindergartners. But there was also like one of the repeated meeting points, and for some characters, the only meeting point was the hard rock cafe, and also the character of Ginger who was essentially running a hostess service. So there, there was like these Western elements in Mahjong and the corruption was very heavy with, with, with the Western elements. It came hand in hand with those. And in Yiji, we once again, Young uh, revisits the idea of, of, the, of the emotional and moral harm that, that capitalism can have on you. But this time it centers around the... It's no longer through the Western characters. Now it's purely the Taiwanese characters, mm. and especially in in the form of the the video game corporate corporate shenanigans that revolve around the main character, who who is part of of a company that well is it's not directly trying to con its customers, but is really heavily pushing into conning a one video game de developer so that they can kind of a, just produce a quick and lazily done knockoff video games and just try to try to ride with with similar type of name right. yeah i tried to bring to the episode as large of a palette as possible like grandpa kind of about the memory and then um, City of Sadness about history and Mahjong about corruption and the uh, EE about generation gaps and whatever else. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It's kind of a corruption plus the the, the generation cap plus the the fleeting memory aspect. Mm. Right. Yeah, I think um, you can see again. It's not as overt as in Mahjong, but you can see again kind of the the contrast within Edward Young of his like sentimentality and his uh, pessimism and kind of nihilistic worldview about about everything where there's a lot to be upset about in the modern world and there's a lot to feel alienated about but there's also a lot of joy and kind of connection you can find like the way that the uh, main character kind of develops a friendship with the the Japanese game developer that ends up getting conned Oof. or or you know the way that the um the Yang Yang character is able to kind of uh use art to kind of create meaning so i think that that he in this movie he does it the most masterfully and like the most uh you see this kind of contrast in the in a way that isn't as overt and it's just kind of it's the the subtlest and the, probably the best done i think he really developed into this is like his the culmination of him his development as a director i think yeah yeah one thing to note as well it's it's not only triple h who is pulling all these f- uh, funny juxtapose scenes for example when this child or the daughter and the mother get stabbed i believe then it's uh, juxtaposed mm. with this video game where somebody's getting beaten up <laughs> so that... oh, well actually that is that's an interesting uh thing is like that is um kind of a uh have you ever heard of like the apple daily the the newspaper uh there's a there's this thing that they do where they like take the news and they make like 3d renderings of it <laughs> so mm-hmm. they'll like take like these violent news stories and then they'll make these kind of weird like almost funny cartoon 3d renderings of the incident and show them so it's it's a way that they can show the violence with like and kind of put it on tv and get away with it so i think that's what he was trying to do in that was kind of and it's another way of showing like kind of the weird modern society and how fucked it is (laughs) it's like by showing this like but yeah that really does happen they do show like violence in that way all right, I guess we need to keep moving. So uh, let's get to the quickies. Does Henrik want to start here? Um. Well, yeah. Why not? So, um, the the first Western, and let's really start with the quickies, and not not get to the longies yet. Uh, <laughs> quickly, guys, bring attention to some very small role in the film that you find somehow worth highlighting. Can be good or bad or just a you know bit player some some side role character who just really caught your eye. Um, so I think it's throughout the movies. I think it's interesting that um, Edward Young shows up as the dad in um, in Summer at Grandpa's, and then Unienjian, who's also a director, shows up in City of Sadness and in Mahjong. And I just think it's a cool thing to note that the directors were all kind of playing parts in each other's movies. And it gives this like cool collaborative vibe to the Taiwan New Wave, and it shows like that the filmmaking atmosphere at the time these movies were made must have been like pretty cool, and like you know that they were all kind of helping each other and like having fun with each other, and like hey, come play the dad in my movie, or hey, I'm gonna be a gangster in your movie, and it just it has a really kind of uh, just a warm, friendly vibe to it that I really m- makes me feel good when I watch the movies. Yeah. Yeah, quickly, b- before anyone else can also state this, I also have to steal, Nick, for your point about the directors visiting each other's films. 
I myself, I have to confess, I didn't actually notice that before I read about it. And after that, I revisited the movie. So I was like, oh yeah, hey, wait a minute. So so they do. And I too really li- liked that aspect. Kind of reminds me of, of Takashi Miike's cameos in, for example, some Paul Eli Roth's movies or Quentin Tarantino's visits in, in Takashi Miike yeah. films. As far as kind of like leading actors, uh, I would maybe point out the Yang Yang actor. I right now forgot his name. But I, I give it to Yang Yang and something very small as a role. Well, I guess I need to go back to, to grandpas because the grandpa himself, like, there is this one one pretty legendary and amazing shot where he comes back up the stairs and, and stops the kids on their tracks just with his cold gaze. <laughs> what are you doing on my floor? <laughs> really love that moment. He doesn't need to say anything, just solved. I come up with my mind is the, the one uh, yelling to Lun Lun, the one called Ya Gao, and uh, the, uh, with a bald head. It, uh, at the end of the Mahjong, he, he kind of yelling to Lun Lun, like, uh, uh, why you kind of, just For me, it's kind of hard because there's no reason to yelling someone with no reason that you need him, but uh, you're yelling at him. But this turns out with Lun Lun to realize, oh, Marty also yelling at me, so maybe she needs me. So this is good transition for me to, oh, he tends to be, because in my observation, is, uh, this kind of section is weird for me. It, the, the performance pretty, pretty, pretty odd because when you, when you ask someone to help, you don't yell at someone, right? But in the end, it turns these kind of yelling things to be the aha moment to make them realize the truth that Marty needs him. So for me, this kind of smart move for me, because in the whole movie, the one Yagao always yelling to someone else. He, he just performed really, I don't understand, but uh, it turns this kind of personality to, to, to a driven moment. London, so interesting. Sorry, what was this character? Uh, I think he was called Little Little Buddha in Mahjong. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, Little yeah. Buddha. Yeah, of right. Yeah, funny character. Mm-hmm. So, guys, what resonated with you the most or the least? Your choice. Uh, the 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 humor and the glimpse into the history and society. Uh, the way that kind of human nature was depicted throughout the films and kind of capturing all the sides of the human experience for me. Yeah, yeah it's about human nature and uh, the time, the era, the history, the political change. Yeah, I too could take a note from Luke and my answer also would be the time period depiction. Yeah. In um, one adjective... How would you guys describe the four movies that we have been talking about? Uh-huh. Very funny, Henrik. How do you put these films into one objective? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it a shot. Okay. I would say uh, literary. Literary. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yeah, like there's a very kind of literary kind of vibe to the films. Like I think a lot of the new wave films have this kind of novel feeling to them. That's the only. That's the only kind of. <laughs> <laughs> thread between them that I could find. <laughs> uh, 
maybe kind of eye-opening, but maybe I'll just go with meditative in a way. Yeah, well, really difficult for me because I'm not good at English, but for <laughs> me, at least for Taiwanese New Wave movie, I would say it's a reflection because people in Taiwan, living in Taiwan, uh, especially Taiwanese New Wave, before Taiwanese New Wave, there's not... There's no movie talking about ourselves. It's about movie mm. of entertainment or like a five bedroom man in China. And till Taiwanese new wave, uh, Taiwanese people finally have the opportunity to reflecting their own life. Like uh, there's finally some director, some movie talking about oh, this is Taiwanese people's life. So it's good good opportunity for Taiwanese people to kind of reflecting themselves, uh, oh, so this is my life. This is my life. Is I live in, the, in, in this kind of situation? Should I think about myself? So, mm. yeah. Perfect. Reflective, I guess we can use that. Yeah. And I would say sorrowfully warm. Mm. So, uh, this is going to be a hard one. Uh, you can pass if you want, but <laughs> where are some favorite quotes? that you found from some film. I can give it a shot. Go ahead, you absolute madman. <laughs> There's a lot, but th this was fun. Um, Alison, would you please wait for me here? I'll be right back, okay? <laughs> sure. Hey, Marcus, don't bother coming back, you lying son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, were you playing the film? That's exactly how the acting was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that was harsh. But yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the quotes the quotes that I really like from uh Red the character of Redfish is when he's talking he's just saying that people don't know what they want. You have to tell them what they want. And as I was watching it in Chinese, the way that he speaks, uh I was watching it with my wife and she was laughing because she's saying oh he has a lot of fei hua which in chinese but means that. like just like like bullshit talk <laughs> like bullshit. just saying things to sound profound for no reason so i just think that a lot of his fei hua it was very interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like the call too uh well i would say i was wanting to just let nix no 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 but i would choose the other one like uh, um Maybe the the word you say well because you could not see your back, so I take photo of your back so you can see it. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. That is pretty interesting because I'm a photographer, right? I really wanted to take some picture with yeah. someone doesn't really unnoticed before. So the way EE decided to 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 do that is really fascinating for me because they wanna he, he wanted to trying to do something different or trying to tell people something and it's good enough for me to to do it so very interesting the way of thinking hmm. yeah it's an interesting depiction on on the different way how a child actually sees the world like mm -hmm. the, yeah. e everything mm -hmm. that that he photographs is something like completely pointless and absolutely normal for the adults, but he sees something, something hidden, some, something that is worth photographing in, in like people's, at the back of people's heads and 
like staircases <laughs> and all of that. Yeah, that's pretty much avant-garde, like the the headmaster stage. <laughs> yeah, that that kid, he's the most detached from from everybody else. He's just basically minding his own business and doing these um, childish shenanigans, learning things, and adults are doing the adult life thing, bickering and all that. I got that feeling very strongly. Yeah, there's a certain type of innocence in him. Mm. But to get us oh, back, back on yep. track, uh, <laughs> we, we, we have been talking about a lot, a lot of two great directors, but what do you guys think, not now asking what, whatever you like the movies, but what are their chances in in there out there in the world? Like, do these films have a staying power or legacy, or will these be forgotten? Um, that, that's an interesting question. I I don't know. I I I would say that they shouldn't be because I think when you watch, especially for me, Edward Young's films, and actually no no all of them actually, you get a sense of they feel very prescient now because at the modern life the way that we are kind of the direction that we're going and the way we're living mm-hmm. i think that this has a lot to say about that and even something like summer at grandpa's like you mentioned like that's an ex- that's experience of kids playing in the summer like kids don't have that now so i think for people to see something like that i would hope that it would resonate with them when they watch it and they think like oh yeah this is an important kind of thing to document and understand and i think there's a lot of themes throughout the films that a lot of people will definitely resonate with if they watch them whether or not they will watch them is another question but but i think if people see them then they will connect with them yes yeah i agree yeah i like to be optimistic and uh, maybe say that that these films will keep living on i hope that uh, triple h will be still going strong and releasing a couple of movies every now and then and so keeping that that back catalog lit Yeah, from these movies, well, Gigi is is like the, the easiest one to, to have a, a legacy because the, the high, biggest push for an individual film is behind that one. Yeah. So most likely, most people will like if we would look at this statistically, the statistics that someone will see EE is is like the, the highest. Um right. When it comes to kind of a borrowing a note from Unique. Uh, if people see these films, will they will they then have a legacy? I do think that this holds true for City of Sadness and Summer at Grandpa's, but unfortunately, I can't necessarily see that for Mahong, <laughs> which I do feel is kind of a, fi- a film that is too easy to to just just see once and then bypass, and that may also be like the film's fate for me also. No, I was just gonna say, and I think that that is evident in the fact that it's so hard to find and there's not very many prints of it so i think that you have some data to support your <laughs> yeah yeah and then some directors like chiming liang who are now not even willing to have any kind of a home release you've got to go to the theater to see my film type of thing there's some some of this artistic thing going on of course some people don't really care to have this have this dvd release as home releases whatsoever mm-hmm. which, which is fair actually there, there is mm-hmm. an a real point seeing a movie in in theaters versus seeing it at mm. your home from, actually from a tv or a laptop yeah just to add on that ee i think it's most definitely and many of these films if not all of them that we watched are such films that should be watched on the big screen if possible 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think Macron translates the best for TV screen. Yeah, maybe. But but like you said, EE and City of Sadness are so like you are definitely missing out if you don't see them in theaters. All right, Henrik, let's complete the sentence. <laughs> got got a bit career around there on <laughs> So, um complete the sentence. You really know you are watching the Taiwanese New Wave when uh, you really know you're watching Taiwanese New Wave when the camera doesn't move for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> 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 well, wow, this is hard. Uh, the, you really know you are watching. Um, uh, yeah, wow. I don't know. We, <laughs> you, you really know you, you watch a city of sadness when, uh, well, when it's, uh, it's a sound movie, but with a subtitle, title card on it. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. <laughs> you really know you are watching these movies when your fear of militaristic Chinese police is in being intersected by your rampant hard rock cafe flashbacks. <laughs> because oh boy they really were pushing hard rock cafe and planet hollywood during the mid noughties <laughs> all right but to get into into perhaps a longer discussion and the, the horror questions even still so gang it's all down the line here now did you guys like today's or tonight's movies short answer all of them yes Yeah, same here. On my end, on my end, I I hate to be the the contrarian here. Don't you touch on my macho. (laughs) 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 I I really loved City of Sadness, and I really did love EE, and I I enjoyed hugely Summer at Grand Pass. But goddamn macho, no, (laughs) no, no. Ah, uh, that's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and continuing from that, would you guys watch these films again, or are they just one-time viewing? No, absolutely. Anytime I can come back to these films. Yeah, same. I mean, I think there's so many details to unpack, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things you can find throughout, so I would watch all of them again. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I necessarily wouldn't watch Mahjong again. <laughs> I think I think I've never had... I've never said in this podcast such a clear answer on this on these questions. Yes, I would mm. definitely watch this again. Yeah, yeah. For for me, it's uh, it's three out of four. Okay, heretic. Uh, tell us what you really think, though. <laughs> 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 well, we actually find the answer in in the ne- <laughs> next question. So at this point, you all been able to to answer from your own perspective, like. Do you do you like the movies and would you watch these again? But it's a different thing for you to watch a movie again and you just, you know, giving recommending it to someone else. Mm. So guys, uh would you recommend these movies to other people? Yeah, I mean, that's what we do on our YouTube channel. Uh Mint yeah. Volcano <laughs> is recommending all these uh Taiwanese new wave films to people. So, I mean, I think it's important to recommend these films because like you said you know there are a lot of them are hard to find and they might not have staying power but i think something that luke said that really 
I find, thought was touching in this podcast was that he talked about how this is a reflection of people from Taiwan. And I think that that's an important thing to allow people from Taiwan to have this kind of voice globally. So I would definitely, you know, that's why we both started the channel. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I, on my end, I, I do recommend City of Sadness, EE, and Sabarat Karampas, but not necessarily Mahong. Like, to to me, the the comedy does. I I personally I didn't really connect with the comedy. I mm-hmm. I get that it's supposed to be a dark comedy and it's not like laugh out funny, but for me the comedic beats that that I was able to spot were like the moment when one of the fumbling gangsters is just willy nilly pointing the gun at his friend or or the guy stepping on dog shit and stuff <laughs> like that, and none of that worked for me and. Something that wasn't a large problem for me, but something that I can believe, or it wasn't a deal, it was a problem, but it wasn't a deal breaker for me. But I believe it can very much be a deal breaker for a lot of people, would be how the actual crime story in the film is being told. And this is something that I did see, uh, like coming up in the criticism towards this film repeatedly, that the crime crime story the, the overall narrative of the film is too confusing and i do disagree with that fact it's i i i do think that the the plot itself is pretty simple and mm. it's not really confusing but i do think that it's told messily as all hell <laughs> and when when people complain that that it's too hard to follow or or it's 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 confusing i do think that the problem is that the way how it's being told to the audiences, it's just it's just too messy, and people uh, kind of mistake mistake it for being too complicated or having too much moving parts in it. Mm. Well, a city of sadness has a lot of family moving parts. There, there's a lot of, I think I listed like thirty different characters, thirty-five, forty or characters to keep track of. Some of them mm-hmm. not so important and more mm-hmm. important characters as well. But yeah, you. I, I, you need to keep your lights on that you can follow these characters. Yeah, I, on the other hand, I didn't have that experience with City of Sadness. Okay. Like, uh, to, to me, it was, or I found very easily that the narrative center on the, the three brothers, that the fourth one being something that is just kind of carried over in, in the film's narrative, that being the, the brother who has who, who has been messed in the head by, by the traumas that he has suffered in, du- during the war and who just mostly is there like most of the time the movie just forgets yeah. the fourth brother entirely so three brothers to keep track on they they do have like they they do get married they are girlfriends they are friends and and stuff happened to to to, to these to their personal contacts also but like they they the narrative core is in those three brothers. And then there is the, like the other characters that just revolve around them. So mm. it to, to me it, it wasn't really I, I didn't feel that I had to to struggle or really like pay any any specific attention into the characters in City of Sadness. Like it was easy to follow if you just, you know, if if you just zone into the three brothers. We know, Henrik, every movie is easy to follow for you. <laughs> Props to you. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll keep this 
my version is short. Would I recommend these films? All of them? Yes. I would definitely recommend this movie to to anyone else who wanted to see, wanted to know about Taiwan and also about cinemas because it's not only telling story about Taiwanese people; it's also transform the way movie could be made some in some ways, like uh, in terms of similar photography, in terms of conversation or the story, how the story is being told. Because in this kind of movie, like you you often not seeing uh, the main characters. I mean, the the story is not driven by the main character. It's around. It's the people around him, and oftentimes you can see the main character is just a outsider or even an observer to seeing things happen. So you have to keep your head on those characters beside the main characters. Sometimes the other one is more important than the main character himself. So. You really miss out sometimes. Doesn't really easy to follow, but mm-hmm. uh, it also is is representing a new possibility of film could be made. So also is introducing a lot of Taiwanese history. So it's good to introduce to people to to who 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 wanted to get known about Taiwan. So yeah, of course, mm. and also Edward Young, I think. I believe because he he living in United States, well, his movie is more talking more modernized world. It's more universal for people all around the world. So his movie is more internationally, and his movie is more easily to have common feeling. I guess that's partly in- intentional as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah.、Uh, should we put the films in order of preference? Wow. <laughs> It's like、uh, shuffling your babies. I don't know. Yeah,、um, yeah they're they're all rated pretty highly for me. But I would go City of Sadness, then Summer at Grandpa's, then Mahjong, and then EE at the top. And you can tell I I'm a Edward Yang fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> so EE is your top, right? And then... yeah, yeah. Okay. Um,、mm. for me. It's really difficult to make it older, but yeah, it definitely would be the top of my life. And then maybe City of Sadness because really tell a lot of stories. And then could be、uh, Mahjong, and then Summer and Grandpa's. Yeah,、um, in terms of what I would the most likely. Pop on, regardless of、uh, how good they the films might be.、Uh, it's most easy for me to put on maybe a summer at Grandpa's, and then followed by Mahjong, and then E, and then、uh, City of Sadness. But as far as like what did I like the most? I guess E and、uh, Mahjong, a、uh, <laughs> summer at Grandpa's, and a City of Sadness. And for me, from top to bottom. Order it would it would be City of Sadness followed really closely by E E then Summer and Mahjong as as their fourth one. Cool.、Mm. Of course, we would like to give the opportunity for our guests to explain if they have any projects going on. I'm, sh- I'm sure you do, <laughs> and where people can find you. So maybe starting with Luke. Well, I'm looking for independent movie making in New York City because I really want to keep doing movies. Even well, like a Nick is in Taiwan, so we I I still wanted to make short pictures 
any kind of possibility. So I'm looking for a chance to make movies, videos here in New York. So if anyone who is interesting, <laughs> making some interesting videos together can connect me. Yeah. How do they, or, how do they contact you, Luke? Oh, how do they contact me? They just Google Luke Liu, Luke L-I-U, then probably can see if I'm in Facebook or YouTube, or you can go to our, me and Nick's YouTube channel, Mick Mokeno, so you can find us. Yeah. Yep. Well, as a, as a like a small time video maker myself, if you ever happen to go, you know, pay any attention to Finland, No, just drop me a note. I'm, um, Mike, I'm, note I'm well. <laughs> fully, fully open for for a collaboration. Same here. I, great. Yeah, awesome. And uh, where can we find Nick? Um, yeah, so you can check out our YouTube channel again. I'll plug it one more time. Uh, Nick <laughs> Volcano. You can find it. Uh, and we have some of our short films on there. You can also find me on uh, Instagram at N-I-C-K-V-A-K-Y. Also, my website, nickvakey.com. There's like... A lot of the short films that Luke and I have worked on are on there. And we actually have one more film, one final film that we shot right before Luke left for New York that I am currently editing. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have a new work coming out soon. Hopefully it'll be in some festivals or something, but uh, just mm-hmm. stay tuned, I guess. <laughs> yeah, one, one key question bothers my mind. Mint Volcano. Yeah. Why don't you guys have more views? Like the the quality of the material and yeah, I hope you guys get a bigger following. You deserve that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right. All right. This was uh, fantastic. Of course, the in time wise, going through these four gargantuan movies is kind of impossible, but we <laughs> did what we could, which is awesome. And yeah, what did you think, dear listeners? Five star ratings or thumbs up, thumbs down? What do you prefer? Come to tell us on our social media pages. And yeah, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts because it really helps others like yourself to find the Flick Lab. We have also started on Patreon. A bit rocky start, but you know, we have one Patreon there and head, <laughs> <laughs> head over to Pat- <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash the Flick Lab to support us over there. We're actually putting some uh, extra content there so you can find more babbling from Henrik and me right there. Yeah, and remember, the more you give, the more we are gone, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you can send us feedback, lab at theflicklab.com. You can follow me on Twitter. Unfortunately, I'm always trying to find ways to get out of there, but I'm there. If you can type my name correctly, good luck with that. Henrik, where can people find you? You can find me in the miraculous world of Finnish filmmaking right after the current plague finally eases up. <laughs> okay, and our theme music was created by Nick Crivell, and special thanks to she. She read out loud the names of the actors in these films, but unfortunately we didn't have really too much time time on Taiwanese or Chinese lessons here. But Yeah, it was hugely appreciated. Absolutely. Still. In our next episode, we'll be discussing what, Henrik? I guess cinema in some form. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that we could take a look into the Oscar-nominated international films that are actually available, because I count there's two films available. How does that sound? Less than four. 
Yeah, that's true, and and you know why not? Because if there is a film award that I really don't care about, it's the goddamn Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us. See you in a fortnight. Until then. Tell us what you really think, though. <laughs> <laughs> on my end, I, I hate to be the, the contrarian here. Don't but... you touch on my macho. <laughs> 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 right. Thanks, guys. <laughs>